All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Giving Leader podcast. I'm Phil Ling. I'm the host and the founder of thegivingchurch.com. The Giving Church is the gang that kind of supports all this podcast stuff. If you want to know more about us, you can go to thegivingchurch.com. And we've got all kinds of good resources there for you. A lot of the things that we'll talk about, you can find there and a free book you can download that, interestingly enough, talks about the changing giving patterns in North America in nonprofits and church, which is kind of apropos to right now. Before I introduce my guest, I did want to, first of all, say thank you to our audience. Since we launched our second season, it coincided soon before this virus took off in this pandemic. And with that, as we have changed our strategy a little bit, and actually I've got some great interviews in our our vault that we can't even use yet, but we started to transition a little bit to be helpful on that that forefront. You remember that we interviewed Russ, uh, that was the scientist that worked with the war games and the CDC and the mapping of viruses and all that kind of stuff. That's still our number one listen to episode. But last week I shifted because I wanted to get out in front of something. If you're normal, now you got to understand, I'm the dude that works with churches and ministries raising money for all these years. So I think financial. And when this all happened, and for the first time we had a calamity that you could not gather, was it 9-11? It was where you couldn't gather. Then churches said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We all don't have rainy day funds. Uh, What happens when people are not there? Yes, there is online giving. Yes, some churches are really good at that. Some are not so good at that. But how's that going to shift out? And just like everybody else that suddenly you couldn't go to work at the bakery or you couldn't go to work wherever, the Starbucks, the baristas that live off tips, all that stuff changed. And immediately, so how do you make it? So they came out with the $2.2 trillion relief package that included, and this is in the weeds a little bit, but you need to listen for just a second, $349 billion that was set aside for small businesses Those businesses that have 500 or fewer employees, including sole proprietors, LLCs, subchapter S's, all those things. And it was called the Payroll Protection Program. And it was not trying to end all your issues and worries, but it was said, hey, what if you could immediately cover the salaries of your people for the next two and a half months? And it went into effect Friday. We talked about it. We talked about how you could tune into some folks that could help you with it. Since then, Mr. Cooper that works with me has been working diligently with folks all over the country. And here's what's happened. And if you've been watching the news, you know, there was this pushback, pullback, Treasury, SBA, trying to figure out if churches qualified. They very clearly did on the front end. And there are 360,000 churches in the United States, which sounds like a lot, but there are 30 million small businesses. And that $349 billion that's been set aside is a first come, first serve basis. So what we told you on Friday, and you inundated your bankers, we said, go to your banks, look and see, are they going to to participate in the CARES process and in the PPP in particular? And they're literally thousands. And if you can go to a local bank or a bank you have a relationship, you'll probably have a better chance than just trying to pick one out of the blue. And then we also threw out somebody's name that could help you. And I'm going to throw that out again in a minute. So that happened on Friday. Over the weekend, we have people literally driving bankers nuts. Um, Bankers were working with the Treasury and SBA trying to make sure their backsides were covered because there there were some glitches. I won't get into it. Uh, But they figured out a lot of that. So now, A, it's been clarified. Churches do qualify. Nonprofit 501c3s do qualify. And we've got churches that are already in the queue, already working with their banks, already got that stuff applied for 
If you haven't yet, that's what you've got to do. As soon as the podcast is over, don't wait, don't get off yet. As soon as the podcast is over, call your local bank. The, the relationship you have with your bank already is the best thing to try. But after that, if you want another name, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, it's a friend of our, us that we've worked with for years, and his name is Dennis Park. And he has a ministry called churchfinancegroup.com, churchfinancegroup.com. And you can go directly to his website, or you can just email him at dennis at churchfinancegroup.com. We get nothing out of this financially from Dennis. Dennis is just a good dude, and he's hooked up and works with churches primarily on mortgage stuff, but he is equipped with a banking institution to be able to do the PPP stuff. And just want to put him out there. But try your local, your local bank. That, that's best. All right, now I'm going to change gears. One of the reasons I wanted to start the Giving Leader podcast last year was I've been blessed over the last 20 years to be all over the United States working with all kinds of leaders. And they all don't look alike, but they all have been blessed to be successful in their areas. And I wanted to start highlighting them and talk about different ways of doing ministries, different parts of the country. Everybody seems to think it's geographically centered, like where they live is unlike anything else in the world. But there are some nuances. So if you're the Southeast, the Southwest, the West Coast, the Northwest, the Northeast, all those areas in different kinds of ministries. And most of our clients have multiple locations. So how are they doing that stuff? The satellite stuff. And is it video driven or live teaching or you know what I call the mini denomination? How are you doing that stuff? And tell highlights of, let me tell you some cool stuff that's happening. Because I think that's encouraging. I always, old dude used to read real books, you know, old dude. I used to love reading about guys and gals that were doing cool stuff. That was encouraging to me as a young guy planting churches. So podcast updated version of that. My guest is busier than a, a one-legged man in a butt kicking contest is uh, Andy Wood. Andy is in Silicon Valley, San Jose. If you fly into San Francisco, you don't have to go to San Francisco. You can also fly in right to San Jose. And that is the, the, we think of it as the, the tech mecca in so many ways, and it is. In 2008, Andy and a group of folks moved from different parts of the country to that area, and they planted a church, which is now called Echo Church. I say now called because he changed his name. <laughs> I, I knew it when it was South Bay. But anyway, it's, it's Echo Church now. The growth has been dramatic. They have been blessed and done some cool stuff. So I want to talk to him about how he's doing ministry, how that's working. And eventually we're going to go down into the weeds and say, okay, you're in the middle of this. You're in one of the hard hit areas. I'm not. I live in the mountains of East Tennessee. My job allows me to get on airplanes usually and go visit folks. So I don't have to be in one of those places. But Andy is right in the middle of it. And a ministry that's primarily trying to reach people that don't know God from a goose. And then how do you then transition when suddenly, Hey, guys can't come no more. I say anymore. No more is not very good English. Then it sounds like I am from where I am. So without any further ado, Andy Wood is my guest. Andy, how are you, man? I'm doing well, Phil. Thanks so much for having me today. Hey, thank you. First of all, for carving your schedule. Cause I know you have been busy uh, before we get into crazy stuff that's going on today. And it's been a long time since you and I talked. So back me up and how did you end up picking San Jose? How did you end up deciding that's where we want to plant? That's where God's leading us? How'd that all unfold? Yeah, it started for me really when I was in high school. Uh, I had a couple of guys I played football with and wrestled. We're on the same wrestling team. 
And the church that I grew up in was pretty traditional, liturgical, and nothing wrong with that style of church. But uh, our particular version of it was a place that you wouldn't want to bring your friends who are far from God. And at that point in high school, uh, God really birthed in me a passion for seeing my friends come to faith in Jesus. I, I didn't know at that point it was really basically a call to evangelism. And I prayed a prayer in high school. I said, God, if you'd use me to start a church to reach people like my friends, I want to do that. I didn't know what that meant. Uh, but starting something from scratch made sense to me. My dad is an entrepreneur. He's started small businesses. So even listening to you talk about the CARES Act and uh, the different payroll pro programs that are coming out, there's a, a deep affinity there uh, caring for small business leaders. And I, I just thought it would make sense to start something from scratch. So fast forward, uh, making about eight years, 30 seconds, my wife and I met, we got married, we moved to Texas, we went to a seminary in Texas, and we knew eventually we wanted to plant a church, but we didn't know exactly where that was going to be. So I, you know, having grown up in Michigan, prayed a prayer and said, God, uh, I'll go anywhere. I'm just asking, please don't send me back to Michigan. <laughs> so come, I love Michigan uh, for about three months a year. Yeah, and exactly. So uh, we took out a big whiteboard. Uh, we literally drew a map of the United States. We asked the question, which regions are the most unchurched? Uh, we wanted to go somewhere that was ethnically diverse. So we actually started a church while we were in seminary. And one of the really cool things that God did was that church became really diverse. Uh, we, one semester, we baptized like six or seven Japanese students. And uh, we ended up taking a trip to Japan about the same time to work with a missionary. And she said, you guys have baptized more Japanese people in three months than we have in 30 years of being on the mission field. Wow. So that really just kind of opened our eyes to what we could see happen here in the States with how people are moving to uh, our country and all these major metropolitan areas that are so ethnically diverse. So we wanted to go somewhere diverse. We also wanted to go somewhere where there wasn't as much church planting going on. And not so much uh, because we didn't want to partner with other churches, but just that apostolic desire to start something from the ground up, kind of like Paul uh, talked about in some of his letters. So as we researched, we also had um, some kind of negotiables or like desirables that we shared with God. One was sunshine, the other was warm weather, uh, and that all played together and basically got us to where we were looking at the Northeast and West Coast, seeing how unreached both of those areas were. And through a series of just continuing to research, take trips, the Lord led us out here to the San Francisco Bay Area. Big change. Now, so way back uh, 100 years ago, when I was a church planter, we went from a church planting in central Kentucky, where we had, that's where we went to college. And then I got a call to go to Seattle, Washington and plant one out there. Big difference. Central Kentucky, in the north part of Seattle, difference. But what was attractive to me as to you is uh, there weren't a lot of churches of any kind. It was long before that it was cool to plant churches. And the the whole thing of where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So the opportunity is there. So you, you set your sights. But it's saying one thing, West Coast, Northeast, that's a long way from saying, okay, how are we going to end up in San Jose? How's mm -hmm. that happen? Yeah. So we uh, we looked at the culture of both places and you know this from your travels, the Northeast is very different culture than the West Coast. Yeah. And uh, I just personally resonated even just in, in my wiring more. I felt like I was more of a fit for the West Coast. Same for Stacy. So we narrowed down looking at LA, 
San Diego, the Bay Area, and the uh, Pacific Northwest. We skipped right over Portland. No offense to Portland folks, but <laughs> we didn't think that was going to be a good fit for us. So we were looking at Seattle, and uh, I just got on the phone, just started blowing up the phones with people from the denomination that we were going out with, and uh, started talking to their directors of missions. And I, I got on the phone with the director of missions, and she just she knew how to talk to me in a way that like just brought out that apostolic desire. In essence, she's like, you, you'd have to be crazy to plant a church here, you know? So she's going yeah. on it, and she, was, she knew what she was doing. And God sovereignly used all that to call us to the Bay Area. And then uh, we, we took a couple of vision trips, uh, and in particular, had looked at planting a church more in the Oakland area, and just decided I didn't want my kids to be Raiders fans. And so... <laughs> <laughs> well, also, also San Jose and Oakland are two different worlds. Yeah, very different. And so we, uh, we came down to this area. Uh, the denomination had tried to plant a church in an area where we ended up starting. And they said, hey, there's this massive uh, area with a fast-growing community. We think you should check it out. And my wife and I went. Uh, we had our oldest at the time, and we sat down in a coffee shop, and our hearts just broke. You know, we we're listening to people talk multiple different languages, but they're same season of life as us. And uh, there was nothing like we just kept asking, you know, what churches are there? We'd ask people and there were some great churches, but in that area within Silicon Valley, there was nothing like what God was calling us to do. Okay. So fast forward that God lays that on your heart. You're looking there at that particular area. When you launched in 2008, what was the model that you used? What, like, did you do small groups first? Did you do, a, you know, we're going to advertise, we're going to be at a particular place on a particular weekend and start building a nucleus? You know, what, what'd you do? Yeah. So the first thing that we did was we started by trying to serve our community. And I would probably back up and say we, by God's grace, had some great connections. And one of my kind of bents is towards, and you know this from working with us, um, I have a huge heart to be generous, number one, our, as a family, but also to help people live generous lives. And so we were able to raise a ton of money on the front end, which allowed us to, when we got to the Bay Area, really focus on evangelism and reaching people. So we started serving our community. Uh, we had several churches that sent mission trips, another church in the area that sent some folks over. And we were able to establish through a community event about 300 names of people uh, that we got connected with, and 90 of them expressed interest in helping us start a church. Mo like a good chunk of them were not followers of Jesus. We pulled them together in a launch team, started meeting together weekly. Within about six weeks, that group was uh, over 30 people. And at the same time, we're doing cookouts, going door to door pretty much every night in our apartment complex. And it was like a real big 5,000 unit, uh, Google, Apple, Facebook employee kind of tech, uh, lots of young families. And we did cookouts every weekend. We were just meeting hundreds and hundreds of people. And then we pulled that together for monthly services. We did monthly services in November, December, January, February, and then launched in February of 2009. And again, there's always a story behind the story. The story behind the story for us is number one, we had planted a church before, so we knew all the landmines uh, along the right. way. And then number two, we came into an area that was ripe. You know, that we, we got a lot of really low-hanging fruit. There were a lot of open people. And I, I probably have dozens of stories just in that first year of people saying, I've been praying for a church like this in this community. I've been looking for a place to bring my friends who don't know Jesus. 
And so we, we were able to break through some growth barriers pretty quickly that I think sometimes churches get hung up on. Where, I know this is a little bit in the weeds, but I know I've got a lot of church planters listening. Uh, where, when you first started meeting, was it in a school? What'd you do? Where'd you locate? Yeah, we, we, there was a, a school in a master plan community, like right at the center of uh, the, the group that we're trying to reach. And I, I think one principle on this is to go for once we're out of COVID, uh, so who knows when you'll be listening to this, but uh, when that reality does come back, when people are meeting in buildings again, uh, to make a list of all the options in your community and go for your A plus option first. A lot of times uh, church planters will knock off the list of locations uh, because of money, number one, or number two, because they have some uh, barrier in their mind that's not real and they haven't made an ask and they've already said no for the person before they made the ask. So I think uh, there's a cost to not meeting in a great place as well. And uh, so by God's grace, we, you know, we fasted and prayed. We did a three day, we called it an Esther fast where we prayed and fasted for three days before we made the ask. And we were walking around the perimeter of the (laughs) community. And I'm sure that the, you know, people looked out who are these weirdos walking around, but uh, by God's grace, we met there for three years and it was a fantastic location for us to get started in. That's that's a big deal. I, I you know we could camp out there and I won't. But picking locations, my my rule of thumb is if you have to have multiple signs pointing to where you're meeting, you should be where the signs are. Um, so you know it, it's like pick the location. You get what you pay for. You, if you're you've got you don't need two reasons not to come. One will do. You know. So if they yeah. can't find you or you're in a cruddy location that's not not very inviting, once they do locate where it is. So you guys you do your homework. You've done, you've done it before, got the battle scars, you guys launch, blow through some of the barriers. So take us through like those first four or five years. What did the church, how did it shape? How did it grow? What did it look like? Yeah, we basically from the beginning, we had a really solid team of people with different gifts. Um, I'm much more of a visionary. I have somewhat of an administrative bent towards me more than some senior pastors, but I hit a max with that as well. And so uh, we started with a good right hand. He, initially, he was a, an associate pastor who is still now on the staff as our executive pastor, uh, a worship leader. So we just built out the team. We uh, erred on the side of taking this, the risk before. Uh, so we started services before we needed a second service. We started raising money for a building before we needed the building. Uh, and that allowed us again, just to continue to break through barriers. So we went one, two, three, four services. Um, and I pretty much solved every problem with adding a service the first couple of years. And eventually that hammer, you know, you get a nail that that hammer can't put away, but it worked, it worked for us really well. Um, and then we, we raised money. Um, our people stepped up to the plate, gave super sacrificially. We got into a building we didn't know at the time. And so many of these things are just God's grace and favor on our church. But we didn't know at the time the market was super depreciated from a real estate standpoint. And now it's just crazy. So I just felt kind of an urge internally, you know, prompting from the spirit to move us forward to get a building. And uh, we, we moved in there. We kind of went from about eight or 900 in the school to 1400 within about a year to six, 16 months or so. And then we went multi-site uh, at our five-year mark from one to two campuses. So you've been doing multi-sites for a while. 
um, did you decide to do video early on or how, how, what was the shape of the multi-sites? Yeah. You know, I, I had the privilege of sitting, um, in a room with pastor Craig Rochelle and about 15 other leaders as like, he kind of rolled out their multi-site strategy. And there were a couple things that he said that really stuck with me that were brilliant. Um, as you know, he's such a f- phenomenal leader, but they, they basically look at facilities and it's interesting thinking about this now being in COVID, but they look at facilities if through the lens of we want to we do as many services as possible in a building and they will you know, buy land and build with cash. And I just, it, it, the reality hit me, we can't do that, but we got to think differently. And so we kind of came up with this alternate strategy around buildings and cash flowing them that really has worked well for us. Um, and then the other thing that he talked about was their strategy on multi-site with the confusion that a lot of leaders place on their people by going back and forth with video and live. And, and again, we, we know this is a method. It's not the mission, right? So there's a lot of ways that God's blessed, but I just, you know, our team got in a room, we looked at the pros and cons of the different ways and just really felt like we should go with uh, video and we haven't wavered from it. We've had a couple Sundays where we've done live teaching, but it's, it's been like three in, you know, five years of multi-site and we just have stuck with it. There are still times where people kind of gripe about it. And I don't like video, but for the most part, people just adjust to the reality. And I think even on the back end of this, now it's going to be a lot easier to lead into that. Uh, now, okay. So this is a little bit of a clarification. We, one of our, our earlier podcasts this year was with Josh Gagnon, who was planted up in New Hampshire and also has, has locations in Florida. And so about the same time period as you, the church of five or 6,000 with multiple locations. His is a little different because he, he preaches live on Thursday night to one location that is then recorded. And that's what they use on Sunday at all the locations. So are you live anywhere on a Sunday or is it our pre-recorded? Yeah, I'm live at our broadcast location on Sunday morning, 8 30, 10 okay. and eleven thirty. But I, um, I just, I think that what we've walked through in the last month or so really gives us a tremendous amount of flexibility and right now I'm filming on Thursday at 1130. I love it. I'm a, I, I'm a totally, I have a totally different level of energy, not, you know, having a typical pastoral preaching weekend. Right, right. No, I, his is doing great. He has a new book. This came out uh, last month, I believe. And I, but I was just fascinated that he did it early on, came up with yeah. the concept, you know, uh, to do it that way. And as far as the different styles, I, I, we've got two clients that both these churches are six to 8,000 in size. So two, two good size clients that are 30 minutes from each other and are, and both have multi-sites, but completely different. One is all video and the other one's all live teaching. And, and it's like, they're both successful. They're both doing well. So different styles, different things. Now here, I, part of me, the, what I find interesting is where you, where God took you is really one of the most influential cities and areas in the world, not just the United States. And because of technology, because of so much that comes out of what we just nicknamed Silicon Valley, and the portrait of that to most of us that don't live there is that they would be highly resistant to Christianity. You don't think of them in that way. Now, when I planted in Seattle, we had, uh, you know, Microsoft and all that stuff, but not like what you have uh, in in, in uh, San Jose. Has that been your experience, or is that not? Is that just a, an urban legend we create in our minds because it's different? That, yeah, that they're not any different. I think it, for a lot of people, it's a self fulfilling prophecy that ah. 
totally affects their evangelistic fruitfulness. Um, and I have not found that to be true. Of course, on the front end, one of my most potent encounters with the Holy Spirit in this whole journey was after a really difficult conversation I had with another church planter in our region who had to close their doors. And he was really negative about our area. And he gave me 20 reasons why we couldn't do what God had called us to do. And uh, in a like kind of a quick moment, the Holy Spirit the next day took me to this, the 12 spies and really challenged me. Like, I want you to be a Joshua and a Caleb for the Bay Area to believe that I can do something great there. So that became a core value for us. We call it bold faith. And we see obstacles as opportunities for God to do great things. And anytime in our culture where something comes up like that, that might be a perceived op, uh, obstacle, we, with our language and our mindset, turn it you know, to an opportunity. So I actually think that people in the Bay Area are often more open to the gospel than the Bible Belt. Uh, and part of it is because they know life is not working for them. I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I met somebody in our region that was like, everything's great for me. People are stressed out. They're under pressure financially. They're stuck in traffic, not right now, but in a normal season, (laughs) you know, 14 hours a week and their lives are not working and they need hope. And we have the solution to what they're looking for. So I actually find that it's to our advantage um, to proclaim the gospel in a place where there is a tremendous amount of darkness. Light shines brighter. Now, I think you could say the same thing about the Bible Belt and any part of the country. And I think most of it is really how you as a leader communicate that vision. It, be, it does become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, one of the cool parts, I think, for where you are is it is a, a magnet for some very bright people from all over the globe. And yet they don't always go to San Jose or, the, or that valley and stay forever. They often then go other places down the road. So you are missionaries. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's in, and they're bringing them to you. You know, yeah. they say, hey, here's a new batch of folks that from wherever, you know, Pacific or, or you know, the, uh, Japan or it's from, from China or wherever, you can, you can find that slice. So give me a picture, first of all, because I want to get into this whole coronavirus and how you guys are surviving it because a lot of our listeners are just hanging trying to figure out okay how do we do this uh before three weeks ago so back up before three weeks ago number of services number of locations what the church looked like echo church then and then what's it look like how are you doing it now yeah so prior to covid we're in four locations we have uh 11 services spread across those locations uh, we average in attendance before this just under 2,800 people per week. And uh, and what was the other part of the question that you'd asked me? Well, I'm just a transit because I wanted to get everybody a snapshot that, okay, the, what you guys have done in the last 11 or 12 years has continued to grow. God's blessed you in the way that we think, nickels and noses, how many folks are there, that kind of stuff. So you're up to four locations. You've got 11 services, pushing 3,000, which by anybody's mark, wherever, Texas or San Jose, you know, it, it is a big deal. And then coronavirus. And everybody says, shelter in place, hide under your desk. Um, so yeah. what are you doing now? How, what's ministry look like now at Echo? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me share a little bit about kind of how we navigated that on the front end. So one of the cool parts of being in the Bay Area, like you said, there's some really bright people. 
I had a conversation with a data scientist about a month ago now. So it was before all this was kind of full swing and everybody's in shelter in place. And he just started basically walking me through what happened in Italy, what happened, our response, the lack of medical infrastructure we had. And so we were able to start scenario planning a little bit ahead of the curve. So we got into a room with our uh, executive team and it was actually one of the last days that we could meet physically all of us together. And we recognized this reality is not going to be short. Um, it's probably not going to be a one to two week. We're looking at Italy and the Stockdale principle from uh, good to great. When uh, general Stockdale talked about the people who made it out, were not the ones who said, I'm going to get out tomorrow. The people who made it out adjusted their mindset to the new reality so we said, okay, this is our new reality, and we could be in it for three to six months. So how are we going to pivot? The method has to change. The mission has not. So we had a really long, exec our longest ever executive meeting in a room. We reorged everything we did uh, do as a church. We put everything in three buckets or three initiatives, and we said, like, our whole old model is scrapped. Our new model is we do church online. So we call it Echo Church Online. Echo Compassion and Echo Care. And we're going to do those three things for now. And if we can pivot this fast with this new model, we certainly can pivot back pretty quickly if they lift the order. And then we created three support teams, which would be central support that includes all of our stewardship and budget, uh, communications and marketing. And then uh, let me look at my board, connections. So those, those three teams support the other three teams and we gave everybody on the staff a new job. So we, our executive team looked at gifts and who, how people are wired. We put people in a box. We called the whole staff together that week. And we said, okay, here's your, here's your new role. For now, this is what we're going to do. And we basically pivoted the whole thing on a dime. And uh, it, was, it was a wild experience, but uh, made me really grateful for the team that we have and their ability to adapt to this new reality. A lot of the guys I've, and guys and gals I've talked to across the country in the last three weeks have talked about, you know, our attendance was this, and now we know this many screens turned us on the weekend. Now, I yeah. know there's some inexactness to that, but still, any got your arms around at all the, the breadth of what you are, who you're being able to reach this way? Yeah, I think that it's super important to obviously clearly define what progress looks like. And so we... Um, we, we basically are tracking everything from the church online platform. And then we have all the different venues so that, you know, people can watch. Uh, so we, we were averaging like right around a thousand people joining us for our services online every week. And immediately that number went up to 4,500 on church online and a little over 7,000 on Facebook. And I don't, I mean, I don't know where all those people are coming from. We, we're still getting better at tracking that. And some of those would be duplicates and repeats and all that. But um, overnight, we basically, that platform just uh, two to three, four X. And we, we basically said, okay, we have a window of opportunity here that may not exist for another 30 to 40 years in terms of evangelism. And we have to think differently and like most people think about the stock market, you know, when the stock market crashes, some people pull out, some people double down. And we just, we said, we got to double down. So we're going to be 
more aggressive. We're going to be more evangelistic. We're going to be more opportunistic than we are in a typical season. And the crisis is going to open up doors for us to be more fruitful in the long run. And on the back end, we'll see the fruit of this. And it might take us two to three years to see it in our buildings, but we'll eventually see the fruit of that, that pivot. And that, you know, that really does play into our strategy with generosity too, and how we communicate to our people um, around their stewardship. That's fantastic. I, yeah, my, my two cents, my theory is I've been talking to everybody, is uh, the online exposure, it's, it's pushed everybody forward. So some that just played with it a little bit and said, hey, you know, we're going to offer this, or some that really got into it and realized, no, no, this is a great opportunity. I'm convinced, especially in North America, I don't know the rest of the world, in North America, that it's going to be very, very rare for people to just wander in your door to see what you're doing. And that they are going to look at you, sample you, watch what's happening. Similar to, I always tease, I don't like to go to restaurants that I can't, that I've never been to before without somebody else. And especially if I'm walking up and the door is completely blocked and I can't see what's through the window. It's like, that is, a, you know, it's an anxiety. It's like, wonder what's on the other side. Is it going to be one I want to turn around and walk right back out of? And so the, this, this online, the screens that you're now exposing, but the cool part is I do think, you know, you're casting bread on the water. I do think that you're sowing seeds and it will, that exponentially, how we grow it, how we count it, you know, all that stuff will, will change. But if we just have the understanding that this is the number of people that we are now touching to some degree, and how do we take that more seriously, not just where we focused everybody's in the room and, oh, by the way, you can watch on, on, on the screen if you want to. But it's like, well, no. What if there are 10 times as many people watching uh, that are in my room right now? So I, I, I think that's fascinating. Um, the, the, what's the big, we're about out of time. What's the, one of the biggest surprises to you over the last three weeks? Anything jumped to your mind is like, maybe you thought it was going to be tougher. Maybe you thought it was going to be easier, you know, in, in making this transition. Yeah. On a personal level, I think one of the biggest surprises has been how quickly I can go as a leader from being bold with optimism and faith to being anxious and worried and the back and forth of those and the constant need to rely upon the Holy Spirit for wisdom and to um, not for the first time in my life, the wisest people I know don't know what to do. Mm. that's good that's good (laughs) so i just have had to like i have four or five really wise mentors in their 60s who've led phenomenal ministries and they don't know and they're all suggesting radically different things Hmm. and so i have to leverage the principles but then there's a part of this that you just gotta lean into the lord and make fresh you know decisions analyze things weekly sometimes daily um and just trust that the Lord, he has this thing in his hands and uh, he's going to continue to give me the wisdom that I need. And I think that this season is an opportunity for great leadership to be distinguished, unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And there are going to be some new leaders that come out of this from my generation that maybe nobody knew about, but responded to the opportunity. And I think one of the other big things that I just have been processing a lot, Phil, is on the back end of this, wanting to be in a place where we have the ability to respond to opportunity of lives that 
are going to be open to the gospel. And I've just been saying to our team, there's three currencies we ha- we need as leaders. We often think of cash, and I've heard so many people say cash is king, and I would agree that you want to have the resources. But I would say credibility. So there's three C's, credibility, which is trust and making wise decisions and caring for people and shepherding them. The, the, uh, the second would be cohesion of the staff and the team and their health. And then third would be able to have cash on hand. And I want to lead in such a way that I have currency on the back end to seize all the opportunity that God wants to, to bring our way. Fantastic. You're a good dude, man. I, I love your ministry. love what you're doing. Watching you in, uh, navigate the waters has been cool. Andy Wood is my guest. Echo Church, church he planted almost 12 years ago. San Jose, California. You can find them online, see what they're doing. Uh, make sure, gang, you that are listening to me, because I know this is timely stuff, don't snooze on the PPP stuff. Um, I, I've got too many... Now, we, we deal with these all the day, all, all day long, and I got too many churches running around with their face on fire. And you have an opportunity, if you act quickly, to be able to get you a little, a little respite of the pressure of making payroll for a few weeks. And I, that may sound mundane to you, but if you want to stay doing what you're doing, you got to pay attention. And it's not a, a cure-all, it's not a silver bullet, but 95% forgivable loan that maybe you have to pay 4 or 5% later at 4%, is a great opportunity at your doorstep. So make sure you look into that, your local banks, make sure if you want to reach out to Dennis Park at Church Finance Group. Andy Wood has been my guest, Echo Church San Jose. And man, I really appreciate you carving out the time. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Been an honor to be with you today. You've been listening to The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling. I am the host and I'm also the founder of thegivingchurch.com. Go to thegivingchurch.com, find out more about us. Thank you for really, being overwhelming in the folks that are listening to our podcast. Share that with others. We really appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe.